Okay, today is July the 19th, 20th, yeah, 20th, okay, just a day behind, that's pretty good. <laughs> July the 20th, 2010, so let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion, we'll have a few moments of silent prayer, rebound if necessary, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness, for your provision and protection. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace system of perception, giving us this time where we can redeem the time by taking in your word and growing in grace. So we pray that you will help us to concentrate this evening, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you've heard about this, I kind of doubt that you have. Maybe you've seen this in the paper. Probably none of you have seen this in the news. But our illustrious Congress has uh, repealed the don't ask, don't tell law that was set in in 1993 by another illustrious Bill Clinton. And that means that we now have what is called the Military Readiness Enact Enhancement Act. That's what uh, repealed the don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> now, that was my, uh, my idea is whatever the names are on the, they name these bills, you can probably figure just the opposite of that and be more on target. And <clears throat> I think this is a very good illustration of incrementalism. What we started out in 1993 and... Bill Clinton had already promised the homosexuals uh, that he would be on their side if they helped him to get elected. So he got elected, and as a favor to them, he put in this don't ask, don't tell, because the country probably, they uh, estimated, was not quite ready to have open homosexuals in the military. And so they had the don't ask, don't tell, which... Uh, in my opinion, should have never been passed to begin with. It's just the idea that uh, there are probably homosexuals that are in the military. No doubt there there has been. I saw on the Internet that there's been uh, 13,000 of them have been expelled since 1993 in the military. And because they told. But th this whole thing has nothing to do with what's right or what's wrong or what's best for the military. It all has to do with politics and favors and waiting for the country to degenerate further to where uh, they wouldn't have, uh, th there would be no uproar once that they had open gays in the military. And the thing about it is this is typical also because you didn't, how many of you, by the way, have seen anything about that on the news? Anybody? None of you have heard anything about this on the news, and that's the way they operate, is that it, it, you'll find it buried on the uh, back pages somewhere. You'll see a little blurb that this has taken place, and um, the next thing you know, uh, it's happened. Now, in this article that I read, it also said that numbers of people, men, especially in the military, are requesting to get out. This is very offensive to them. I mean, after all, how would you like to be taking a shower and someone who is openly homosexual doesn't hide it. Everybody knows that he is, and no doubt they'll be strutting about, uh, cutting their eyes over at you and making some kind of lewd gesture. I don't know about you, but that is not a formula for military readiness. And, and again, the illustrious Congress has blocked their efforts to be able to get out. So not only did they make it hard for them by allowing these homosexuals to be openly gay now, and the ones that do want to get out, that has been blocked. So this is the... This is the uh, but, but you don't hear about it, see? You don't hear about these things unless you just happen to find it buried in the page somewhere, and I didn't do it. Uh, thank you, Craig. <laughs> Uh, I don't get the paper, by the way. I, I just don't have time to read it. 
I feel guilty when I don't read it. They stack up, and I just said, I'm just not going to do that anymore, so I get uh, information from y'all. Uh, and, of course, the Internet and other places. Here's the thing. So many people today are so degenerated in their thinking that they are what the media would say pro-gay. There are people that no doubt you know and that I know that I probably haven't been in contact with them for a while. But if you got on the discussion about this issue, they would probably be pro-gay because I saw, I was reading a, a, a blog that said around 78% of the people wanted them to repeal the don't ask, don't tell so the gays could serve openly uh, in their homosexual lifestyle. 78%. And I'm, your protection against this is the Word of God in your soul. Because there is a vast amount of time and money and energy that is put in to brainwash people into accepting what is degenerate and what is not acceptable to God. And if you are not pro-gay, as they say these days, then you are looked upon as an outsider. You're looked upon as being uh, not Christian it's not the loving thing to do to be against homosexuality. Now, I did not say against homosexuals. God does not give us the latitude to be against other people. But we do make certain choices and decisions. We have to have discernment in order to recognize what's right and what's wrong. And God very unabashedly says that homosexuality is an abomination. It's repugnant to him. And that never changes. And I don't care what the society may say at any given time. And right now, we're in a, in a phase where they are not only accepting it, they're celebrating it. They're rubbing it in the noses of those Christians like you and myself that make a stand for the Word of God. And in some cases, they're even being ostracized and maybe someday persecuted. So I'm, I'm just thinking that this would be a good uh, illustration of what incrementalism does and how many people now uh, are, if you say anything about homosexuality not being an alternative lifestyle, then you're going to be ostracized by some. And it, it becomes more and more uh, prevalent all the time. And by the way, this little note I have here, it says uh, U.S. Senator Joe Lieberman was supported by a group of leading Democratic senators Wednesday as he introduced the Military Readiness Enhancement Act, which would repeal the Don't Ask, Don't Tell. The legislation will be discussed as part of the annual defense authorization bill by the Senate Armed Forces Committee in May. And then it, the people... Uh, What's the guy, uh, Dick Cheney, he was all fart. All the high brass, everybody seems to be fart. Now, I don't know if that's just the expedient thing to do or if they're really fart or whatever, but it, it should not have anything to do with what we think about this issue because God does not change. And this is, not only is this a despicable very dangerous thing for this country and the military. It is, and not just because it may be overtly offensive to you, but God does not tolerate homosexuality in any nation. Not for long. And there's been so many nations that have gone down. As I've told you before, anti-Semitism and homosexuality are the two two worst things that a nation can get into. And so I thought I would bring that out because you probably didn't have it. I was going to have something here to read about Israel, but I want to get on with our knitting tonight. We have a lot to cover. Very important verses. So turn in your Bible. First Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Or you can look up here. 
Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. I've already pointed out that when Jesus Christ left planet earth, the disciples were standing there looking, gawking, and an angel told them that he was going to return to earth in like manner, and I must for certain to tell you that that is not what we're studying in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That is the second advent, and they are not the same event. Jesus Christ is coming back to earth two times in the future. One is the rapture, one is the second advent. And you have to be crystal clear in your thinking to realize and recognize that it is not the same event at all. Completely different. Old Testament saints receive their resurrection bodies at the second advent, at the end of the tribulation. And I have those verses there, but I'm going to go over those later in detail. Tribulation martyrs receive theirs. Resurrection body at the second advent also, Revelation 24. Now, I had a PowerPoint. I'm not going to go over that again because we showed 16 differences between the second advent and the rapture. But we're just going to go on with our scriptures. So the first thing we have in this verse is, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. I want you to underline in your Bibles, Himself. And I'll tell you why in a moment. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Let's look at this with a shout. There are two unique sounds that will take place at this, in, uh, at this event. The first is the Lord's shout, and the second is the sound of the trumpet. If you have the notes from last time, you have a third, but you can cross that out, and you'll see why shortly. Let's look at this shout. The shout in the Greek is the kelusama, uh, K-E-L-E-U-S-M-A. It's a noun, dative, singular, neuter. This would be the dative of advantage. It is our advantage big time that this shout takes place. And it means an order, command, a stimulating cry. Either that by which animals are roused and urged on by man, or that by signal, which is a signal given to men. In other words, uh, for instance, rowers by the master of a ship, or soldiers by a commander with a loud summons. Now you can imagine this, this shout. And who's going to make this shout? The Lord is. Jesus is going to make this shout. Greek writers used to use this word for shout of soldiers charging their enemies, roars encouraging each other in their work, or charioteers inciting their horses. This shout will literally wake the dead. Now, when I was growing up, my mom used to accuse me of having a loud voice, and I still have a loud voice. I have one of those voices that carries. And on more than one occasion, she says, uh, you can wake the dead with that. Of course, she was just uh, exaggerating a bit. But this is going to be some kind of shout. And that Greek word there is one that illustrates, if, if you were... If you were rowing in the boats, they, before they could, uh, they didn't have the modern diesel engines and so forth, so the rowers were rowing, and let's say the enemy was about to overtake you and you were way outnumbered, do you think you would turn to your other rowers and say, say, uh, y'all mind if uh, we put a little more into it so we could get away? Do you think that would be the kind of... No. They would be screaming at the top of their lungs. So this is a mighty shout. Here's a few verses where this type of shout is given. In Job chapter 14, verse 14 and 15, it says, If a man dies, will he live again? Now, isn't that... Look at that. In fact, go to Job chapter 14. This is the question of questions right here. 
Job 14, 14. Now, this is demonstrating that even Job, Job is supposedly the oldest book in the Bible. And Job, as we're going to see, was looking forward to a resurrection body. And here's the question. I said this is the question of questions. If a man dies, will he live again? People are still asking that question, are they not? He says, all the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. He wasn't a gender, a transgender person. (laughs) Didn't have that back then. He wasn't talking about that kind of change. He says, you will call. There it is right there, see. You will call and I will answer you. You will long for the work of thy hands. Do you understand what that means? You will long for the work of thy hands. Job is the work of God's hands, just like we are also. So it's very clear that even Job recognized that he was going to live again and that the Lord was going to call. That's the shout. Job chapter 19, verse 25 through 27. And as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth, even after my skin is destroyed. Yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes shall see and not another. My heart faints within me. That's what he's thinking. Isn't that great? Only the Bible can penetrate like that. <clears throat> Probably this verse should be also <clears throat> in the list of verses that I gave you about Old Testament believers being resurrected at the second advent. He says, and, and at the last, that would be at the last, second advent, he, Christ, will take his stand on earth. That's the second advent. And then what does he do? He starts describing, even after his skin has been destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. That's how old this, this doctrine that we're studying is from Job, all the way back from there. He was anticipating it. Whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes shall see, and not another... Those that say that this, there's just a, a spiritual resurrection. Uh, if you talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, in 1914, Jesus Christ came back only as a spirit. And there are those who have their eschatology all skewed and say, well, yeah, we're, gonna, we're resurrected, but only in spiritual. No, that's not what the Bible says. Psalm 16, verse 8 through 10. I have set the Lord continually before me, Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Isn't that great? Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. Verse 10. For thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither wilt thou allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Now, this was a messianic prophecy for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, his flesh, did not undergo decay. And it it really has a double meaning because this is written by David and the Lord is not going to abandon his soul to Sheol either. Now, the neither wilt thou allow thy holy one. See, it's very specific here. He's no longer talking about David. He's talking about the holy one, which is Jesus Christ. Neither wilt thou allow thy holy one to undergo decay. Now, how did David know that? I mean, as it turned out, Christ was in the, in the grave for three days, three nights, and under, in, in, within three days and three nights, the body does not decay. And David lived about 1,000 B.C. 
So it was over a thousand years later that this came to pass. Coincidence? (laughs) I don't think so. Then we have Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. I'm not going to speak much on that right now because I have it later that I'm going to say more about that. Then we have John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear his voice. Who does that include? Unbelievers as well. And shall come forth those who did good. Remember, we, I, you probably don't even have to go here because I've already had you do this. Those who do the good. Remember, there is no deeds there. The good is accepting the gospel to a resurrection of life. Those who committed the evil. No deeds there. Just no, the evil, which is rejection of Christ, to a resurrection of judgment. So all are going to be resurrected in a certain time. Jesus had already shouted a command to Lazarus to come out of the grave with an authoritative voice similar to what he will produce at the rapture. Remember when when Christ went to uh, the scene and uh, you had... uh, wasn't it, was it Martha that went out and said, uh, was scolding him for uh, not being there in time? And Christ was trying to uh, explain to her why he had not. It was all part of his plan. And he told her that uh, Lazarus will live again. And notice, she knew about the resurrection already. She said, I know he's going to live at the resurrection. And I just, you know, I don't want to read something that isn't in the Scripture, but I just have the strong suspicion that she said that sarcastically. She was angry at Christ. If you had only been here sooner, you're the Son of God. You could have been here. If you had only been here sooner, He would live. And Christ said, well, He's going to live again. Yeah, at the resurrection. I I mean, that's just the way I see it. I think that's probably how she did it. And then He said, no. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And so when he went and he stood before those tombs, and he said with this same commanding voice, Lazarus, come forth. What happened? Lazarus came forth, didn't he? Now, if he would have just said, probably, come forth, the whole thing would have emptied, see? That's the power of this command. And we're looking at the shout now and what it has to do with. John eleven forty three through 44. This is talking about Lazarus here. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. See that? Loud command. Lazarus come forth. He who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was unwrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, there's something significant about that. And I don't know if you, if you catch it or not. What I just read you t- should tell you something that is very important. That verse right there. First of all, of course, when, when Jesus says, come forth, now, Lazarus had already been dead long enough to where he stank. But when Christ says, come forth, it doesn't matter what. When he uses this tone, you're out of there. But that's not what is really significant about this. Just think for a moment. I'll give you just a think, and then I'll give you, give you the, the, the key to what this is. I said there is a very important... You can, you can substantiate a very important doctrine in this verse. Anybody know what it is? This is not a resurrection. Those that say, oh, there's been plenty of... Re- no, this, how do you know this is not a resurrection? 
Right. Well, he died again, right. But the thing of it is, he was still bound. He still had clothes on him and everything. When the resurrection happens, boom, we're right through that. That's all left behind. So this... Pardon? Right. All the things were still right there, see. And if you read the uh, Left Behind series, you all know that. <laughs> I never read them. But, uh, I hear they're good. Anyhow. You see... That is not a resurrection. But it doesn't matter. When Christ calls, whether you're dead or alive or whatever, this is that commanding voice. Come forth. So he came forth and he was resuscitated. He was not resurrected or he would not have still been bound. He wouldn't still have the clothes on him and so forth. Now this next one, with the voice of the archangel. This is why I had you cross out the other thing a while ago. It says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. And this is, we, we've seen this already. Uh, I love that he won't be sending angels. Remember we talked about that? When Jesus Christ is going to come to earth to get us, his bride, he's not sending angels. He's, remember I said underline himself? He is coming himself. And I don't want to read more into it than that's there, but it appears it's very possible that he is coming himself without, the, you know, without angels to aid him. And you're going to see why that's important after a while. All these little nuances, these little details I'm giving you are important for you to make a distinction between the church and Israel and between the rapture and the second advent. So that's, just, just stick with it. When he comes to the earth to establish his kingdom, he will send his angels to the four corners of the earth to gather back the elect who will be both Israelites and Gentiles who enter the kingdom. This is Matthew twenty four thirty one. However, there is no angel ministry connected with the rapture of the church. Now, I know you're saying that. Well, yeah, but wait a minute. It says the voice of the archangel. Here's the answer right here. What about the voice of the archangel? This can be translated as if it were a simile. With the voice like that of an archangel. Got that? With the, with the voice of an archangel doesn't mean that there's an archangel there that's speaking. It's still talking about he shall come himself with the voice of an archangel. It just described this magnificent, this commanding voice. And you can imagine what the voice of an archangel must be like. It is describing the commanding voice that our Lord will have when He orders the bodies to rise from the graves. It is the quality of His voice, the majesty and the authority of it that is being described. Now, I've given you the Greek word that it has to be, a, it has to be such a, a commanding voice, such a, a, a magnificent voice. This is going to be, a, and I think it's correctly Translated, shout. This isn't just saying something. It will probably shake the earth. It's, it is literally going to uh, rise the dead. The dead are going to rise when that shout happens. So if you're on earth, if you're a believer, you're going to hear that, sh sh uh, that shout and you're going to be translated. We'll get to that soon enough in our scripture. But even if you die before Christ comes, you're going to hear this shout. Guaranteed. I think that's great. And with the trump of God... Oh, by the way, I need to give credit where credit is due. Uh, that with the voice of the archangel, that little bit I read there, that's in italics, came from J. Vernon McGee through the Bible commentary. And by the way, there are those, uh, I'll tell you, that there are some reputable, credible Bible scholars that would not agree with this. They would think that there are going to be, uh, that, that an archangel is going to be with Christ and have a voice in it somehow. I just, I, I think that Vernon McGee is right, that it is describing the Lord's voice. It doesn't say anything about an angel coming. It doesn't say anything about what the angel would say. I don't know what an angel would have to say to add what Christ just did. So that's why I'm taking it as the description of Christ's voice and not an actual archangel 
that's coming and saying anything. That's why I said Christ is coming Himself. And with the trumpet of God, it is customary for trumpets to sound when the great events take place, and this one certainly merits the sounding of a trumpet, wouldn't you say? Always where there's pomp and circumstance and there's an inaugural uh, inauguration of a president or where there's uh, great things that happen, they always have trumpets. The trumpet is, is a sign of something that is, is very important that's happening. Maybe in this study, as we're going through this, we'll look at some of the things in Revelation because about four or five times in Revelation it will talk about peals of thunder and lightning and the stars will fall from the heaven and there's earthquakes and there's all these type of things happening. And that's God's way of saying, I want to get your attention on this one. And that's what the trumpets do. They get attention. Some mistakenly identify the seventh trumpet judgment of Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. First of all, you have the sealed judgments, then you have the trumpet judgments, and then you're going to have the bowl or the vile judgments. And the seventh trumpet actually inaugurates or brings in the bowl judgments. But some mistakenly identify this trumpet with the seventh trumpet of judgment in Revelation as 15, as being the same trumpet mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, which is our verse, which signals the rapture. So, it's the, let's go to what well, we just saw here. With the, this, this calls this trumpet the trumpet of God. Now, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 52. We'll start with 51. That's where it actually starts. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. <clears throat> Behold, <clears throat> excuse me. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, this is called a what? A mystery. They didn't know this prior to this time. They didn't know uh, about this. Now, this is talking about. Get this. I'm going to keep emphasizing this throughout. You could go to the Old Testament and people could be apprised of what's going to happen at the second advent when the Old Testament saints are going to be receive the resurrection body, right? We just went over those scriptures. But now we're talking about the church being raptured and it's called a mystery. That's because it's not mentioned in the Old Testament. So he's telling them something and the mystery doesn't mean it's... You know, outer limits or the, uh, what was that thing called? Uh, the something zone? Twilight. twilight zone. Yeah, twilight zone. No, I mean, it's not something mysterious. It's just that it wasn't known until now Paul is revealing it. He says, but before I, uh, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now, we all know what sleep means. Death for believers. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. And see that last trumpet? At the last trumpet, the dead will be, <coughs> will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And then for the perishable shall be uh, swallowed up in imperishable uh, and all that. We've gone over that. So, but you see it says the last trumpet. And people can go to Revelation eleven fifteen and say, Aha, there's the last trumpet. That's the seventh trumpet. And they think that's where the rapture is going to take place. And I'm saying, not so. Two separate, completely things, as we'll see. Now, this is this. When I have something on the notes like this up here, and it's on, it, when it goes to italics, it means it's a quote. So this is a quote from Things to Come, Dwight Pentecost, on page 189, and he says the following: <clears throat> The last trumpet is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15:52, and the seventh trumpet is the last trumpet of judgment in Revelation 15. So some allege that it is the same trumpet. This would mean that the rapture would occur at the second advent. 
They don't understand that last can mean one of two things. Last in a point of time or last in a point of sequence. The word last may signify that which concludes a program but is not necessarily the last that will the last that it will that will ever exist. You got that? In other words, when Christ comes and it's talking about first Corinthians fifteen, verse fifty two, it's talking about the last trumpet. It's not talking about the last trumpet that's going to be blown ever. And why would it say the last trumpet? Well it's very possible and probable that when the trumpet sounds, it's not just going to go and that's it. One, two. There's probably going to be, I think there's going to be at least two. Probably going to be a toot or, you know, doot, 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 whatever it is. For those who are dead, they're gone. And then a toot for us. Whatever it is, there's going to be more than one toot. And we get, you got it? And it's on the last toot that we rise. Now, I'm, you know, I say toot. I, I can't, I don't, I don't know how trumpet sounds. I mean, it's going to be magnificent. But to get it in your mind, so you'll keep it clear. It's the last trumpet doesn't mean the last one that's going to sound, so we better go to Revelation chapter 11. No, it's just the last toot when, of that sequence of toots. Blast. Okay, yeah, trumpet blast. My wife is going back there saying, blast, blast. <laughs> Thank you, dear. <laughs> it's all that came to mind. I didn't think of blast. Trumpet blast, that's much better. There'll be several trumpet blasts. I mean, there might be, a, we don't know how many. But there's got to be more than one if there's the last, right? And so it's talking about in a sequence on the last one, we're vertical. Uh-huh. Yeah. My dad used to, I, I hate Reveille. Now, I wasn't in the army, but I heard Reveille every morning. And I would, I would stay up to the wee hours, and I should have been sleeping and all, but I wouldn't. And I'd be in my bed, and he'd come in there every morning. And, and he didn't say anything. He just flew open the door. And then he would start going, I'm up, I'm getting up. See, if I got up right away, he wouldn't finish it. He would not finish it if I got up. But if I laid it from a dead sleep, you hear that. And that's how I, I, I'm sorry, that just came to my mind when you said that about trumpets. Well, he sounded like a trumpet, but I mean, when you're so tired. <laughs> okay, the next phrase. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. There is so much packed in these verses. And you can read right through it and miss these things if you just are, you know, really blowing through there. Now, this is very important. If you have the notes, underline it. If not, underline it in your mind. It says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Only church-age believers are in Christ because only church-age believers have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And this is no mistake. And the dead... In Christ shall rise first. The term in Christ is used in the New Testament 91 times, but is not found in the Old Testament at all. Who is this for? Church age believers. And Old Testament saints are not in Christ. Old Testament saints do not rise when we rise. Because this is very specific. And the dead in Christ. Is there going to be any Old Testament believers around when this goes off? I mean, are they going to be any... Um, uh, let me put it this way. Uh, well, I guess that, that will do it. I, I'm trying to, to even sew it up uh, more, but there's no way to do it. Just The only believers that exist in the church age are those who are in Christ. And there is not one believer in the church age that is not in Christ. And there is no Old Testament believer to be found that is in Christ. And this is the rising of those who are what? 
in Christ. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I could throw that up here, but I have a pretty mature crowd here. And so you know that the baptism of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with water at all. It's a real baptism, meaning it's a real identification. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit permanently identifies you with Jesus Christ. Nothing ever can change that. Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Okay. So they receive their resurrection bodies at the second advent. Okay? Let's look at a few scriptures. Isaiah 26, 19 through 20. Now, what, I'm, what these scriptures have to do with, I'm going into more detail now about the scriptures that have to do with Old Testament believers being resurrected at the second advent. And I, I would wager you, if you went to a thousand believers and you asked them, when do Old Testament believers get their resurrection body, very few of them would have a clue and very few even of that would be able to tell you a scripture where it would substantiate whatever they say. Because there are a lot of, not a lot, but there are some misguided people who think that the Old Testament believers are resurrected with us. And I'm telling you, it ain't so because they're not in Christ, for one thing. And so here's some scriptures for you that would substantiate when the Old Testament saints are going to get their resurrection bodies. And by the way, I've never heard anybody teach this. I dug this up before, and I, I, there, it's, 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 it's just rare to see this given, but I thought this was a proper place to give it. Isaiah 26, 19 and 20. Your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy, for your dew is as the dew of the dawn. And the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. Come, my people, enter... Now, let's just stop right there for right now, for uh, verse 19. You understand, this is talking to Old Testament believers, and it's talking about a resurrection, right? You got that. Now, this next part is substantiating, at least from my perspective, that it's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. Because he says, Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you, Hide for a little while until the indignation runs its course. The indignation would be the tribulation. What are the Jews going to be doing when all this hell breaks loose at the midpoint of the tribulation? They're to get out of Dodge, get out into, uh, what's that place, uh, uh, Petra. Uh, well, all over the earth they're going to be had. So I, I think this is substantiates the fact this is where second... I mean, the Old Testament saints get their resurrection body. No doubt about it, that's what they're talking about. I think it, that's what it's substantiating. Now, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 12 through 14. Therefore prophesy, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Where do church-age believers go when they're resurrected? Present with the Lord. And evidently, we're going back to heaven or somewhere where we're going to have the judgment seat of Christ. But it's not going to be in Israel. But look at what happens here. And I will bring you to the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. See, this is when the, this, at the second advent, Jesus Christ is going to set up his millennial kingdom. And you're going to have these Old Testament resurrected saints and it appears that they're going to go to Israel, or at least a portion of them. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come out of your graves, my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I... The Lord has spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Another substantiation of the second, I mean of the Old Testament believers receiving their resurrection body. 
at the second advent. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Now, at that time, Daniel, I mean, excuse me, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. Now, in context, if you go to Daniel chapter 11, and now in chapter 12, it says, Now at that time, Michael, in fact, Michael is the only one that is designated as an archangel, or a, here is given the prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, which would be Israel, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Now, where does that have to be? What time frame? Where are we? We're in the tribulation, because that's how the tribulation is described. Even at the midpoint of the tribulation, it's going to be worse than it ever has before. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, this is talking about, of course, believers, will be rescued. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So this is talking about Old Testament believers being resurrected at the second advent. Those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Is that going to happen right then at the same time? Are those who are going to be resurrected who are going to be resurrected to everlasting contempt, are they going to be resurrected at the second advent? Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm covering this and going slow. They're going to get their resurrection body at the end of the millennium before they go in the great white throne. That's where they're going to be judged. And they don't get their resurrection body until then. And until then, they are still in torments. Just because this says in the, in the same sentence that there are going to be those who go to everlasting life and others to disgrace everlasting contempt does not mean it's happening at the same time. These Old Testament saints are getting their resurrection bodies at the second advent after the point where the times are worse than they ever had or ever will be. And it's just including the fact also here he's saying that there's going to be another resurrection which is not part of the first that is the resurrection to everlasting condemnation or contempt it says here. Y'all got that before I move on? Everybody square on that. No, no, no. No, I'm saying the point that in this, in this uh, discourse here, it's describing the time frame. And when it says, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. In other words, that pinpoints it that it has to be at least after this takes place. And that's not going to take place. That description can only be referring to the tribulation, but not only the tribulation, the midpoint when Satan takes over, because that's what the other places in the Bible describes that, is that's when it's going to be the worst time that there ever has been or ever will be. So I'm saying this pinpoints this time that they're going to rise that it's going to be already after this takes place, the tribulation, the great tribulation. And at the end of that, see, he says, until a nation, until that time, and at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. At that time here is talking about, as we realize, with comparing Scripture with Scripture, this is not at the midpoint of the tribulation, but after that time where it's been worse than it ever has been for that last three and a half years period, that's when it's going to describe those who are found written in the book will be rescued, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake and these to everlasting life. You got that? But then the next phrase, others to disgrace, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt, that's the second resurrection. That's when unbelievers are going to be resurrected and go to the great white throne judgment. So you have two resurrections in this verse, but they're not occurring at the same time. Got it? Do I see any washboards out there? Oh. 
Right? That's the second advent. Well, the Bible just doesn't comment on it, on the millennium. But all those ones you're talking about are phases of the first resurrection. They all are still part of the first resurrection. Jesus Christ was the first fruits. We're going to be next. Old Testament believers and tribulational martyrs. Those are all part of the first resurrection. And the, that's the time frame, right. And with regards to the second resurrection, is he said, blessed are those who are part of the first resurrection and not the second. The second are unbelievers that are going to be resurrected from torments and to stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne. Verse 13, uh, 12, 13, I think is interesting also. It says, but as you, and he's talking about Daniel, he says, go your way to the end, then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. You got that? Daniel is an Old Testament believer. And he says, go your way, and then you will enter into rest. What does that mean? He said, Daniel, Daniel was undone when he got this, all this information from the angel Gabriel. They had to hold him up. He just fainted. It was, it was too overwhelming to him. And so he's saying, go your way, and you will enter into rest. What do you think he's talking about that? He's talking about death. He's talking about sleeping. You will enter into rest. And then he says, and you're going to rise again for your allotted portion at the allotted time, at the right time, at the end of the age. Again, I'm just substantiating the fact that Old Testament believers are going to be resurrected at the second advent. Yes, sir, Michael. No, no. Right. 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 I'm glad you said that because I, I, you know, I just I know these things are taken for granted, but I need to emphasize the fact that when it says the end of the age, it's not talking about the end of the church age. These are Jews, and the end of the Jewish age is going to be at the end of the 70th year, 70th week of Daniel, which is going to be the end of the tribulation. That is the end of the Jewish age. Daniel is a Jew, and that's when he is going to be resurrected. Right, there's still seven years left. The church interrupted it, and we're going to be out of here, and then we have to be out of here before that last seven years begins. Now, this is a very hot topic. There are those who would want to dispute that. But as I'm going through here, I'm going to nail these things down so that you will be able to be very adept at being able to handle those who would allege that the, that the uh, rapture is for both Old Testament and New Testament saints, or that it happens at the middle part of the tribulation or after the tribulation or all these other things, we're going to make sure that this is all nailed down. And this is talking about the age of the Jews. Because Jews during the church age are not Jews, they're Christians. And at the end of the tribulation, there's going to be a judgment and there's going to be Jews and Gentiles who are going to be judged, but Christians aren't mentioned because they already went. They're already gone. Uh, Pete, did you have something? Right. That's it's all in, in its right order. The, the Jews were set aside. They they were set aside temporarily, and God is very, very uh, distinct in the Bible that they were going that God's going to deal with them again when He's through dealing with the church, and that's when He's going to when the contract is signed with the Antichrist is going to start the last seven years of that 490 years that was prophesied by the angel Gabriel to Daniel. He says, this is how much time you have allotted left. And that when Christ went to the cross, 483 years had already, been, had already taken place. And when the day of Pentecost and the church age started, they were on hold and they're still on hold until we are out of here. Then the clock starts ticking again their last seven years. At the end of that seven years is when all these Old Testament saints are going to be resurrected. Yes, Doc.
Well, there's, there's different. Uh, that's one reason I didn't go to there because there's different ideas on that. The timing of that. Some of them say, see, first of all, it says 1,290 days on the, in the verse before that, and and that's 30 days more than what three and a half years are. And so people debate about that. Why is it 30 years? Well, some people say, well, <coughs> it took um, it's, that the idol is the the the, the the idol that's going to be in the in the uh, temple that's going to be set up by Antichrist is going to be another 30 days, and that's why it's going to be another added 30 days. Some say that well, the proclamation was made 30 days before the three and a half years started. You know, different ideas, and the same thing with the uh, uh, 1,000. What is it? Uh, 935. Uh, 1,335. Okay, uh, and they speculate about that also. About why is it the uh, you you have uh, 45 more days there, and and they give reasons. And I just didn't want to get into that, but um, that and that's as far as I want to go because I'm really out of time. And I want to get one more. But does that help you? To, it, it doesn't have anything to do with the with the great uh, significance of these verses in Daniel that they're going to rise in. Yeah, this is at the end of the tribulation. At the end, at the second advent, Christ is going to come, and that's, going to, that's when that seven years is going to be done with, and then he's going to start his millennial kingdom. But when he comes, boy, there's a verse. I, I've only got a few more minutes. Let's see if I can get to it here. Uh, no, I'm not. I can't. <laughs> it's neat, but I don't think I'm going to get to it. Uh, but we do have time for Matthew 24:30 through 31. Very important verse here. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. You see that? There's that trumpet again. <clears throat> and they will gather together his elect from the four winds uh, from one end of the sky to the other. Now, I've only got a couple of minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and give this to you. I was going to save it because I think this is really neat, but I'll give it to you tonight and maybe again next time. I don't know. Anyhow, this is definitely talking about Jesus Christ coming at the second advent, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And there's debate, well, what is the sign? I personally think the sign is Christ himself. That's the sign, that he's coming down and you will see him. Um, there's other speculations, but anyhow. Then all the tribes will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Now, why is that? Why are they mourning? Right, because they rejected him. And now they say, ah, he was the Son of God, or he is the Son of God. So you have the, the, these are the, the Jews uh, mourning over this. Uh, coming on the clouds of the sky. I was thinking about this. You know, we sang uh, this past Sunday, was it? Wasn't it? Um, what's the song that we sang? Um, we sang Morning is Broken, but what was the other one? On the bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise. Remember that? That's not biblically correct because there's going to be clouds. On the bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise. Well, how do they know it's going to be cloudless? <laughs> huh? Well, that, it, made me, it made me think, well, we got clouds here at the second advent. Why can't there be clouds when Jesus Christ returns for us too? No big deal. I'm sorry I mentioned it. Uh, let's go on. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. So there's going to be clouds. All right, uh, but forget all that. I'm sorry I mentioned it. This is the I have the, uh, this is the big thunderous thing I was going to give you, and now everybody is diddling in their mind. So it's my fault. Anyhow, here we go. Uh, that the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and He will send forth His angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. And there are those that point to this and say, Aha! That's the rapture. He's gathering from the four winds in the sky. 
First of all, I said Christ himself is coming for us. This is talking about angels, right? And this is at the second advent. We know that. You have the Jews mourning uh, because they had uh, rejected him. So he's going to send forth his angels and with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky. But the, the word there for sky is uranos, which means heaven. He's going to be gathering from one end of the heaven to the other. When Christ returns, where right before he returns, well, let me put it this way, where are Old Testament saints right now? Where are they? They're in heaven. How do we know that? You know, they were in Abraham's bosom. They were in paradise when Christ ascended. That's in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, I think it is. Uh, he took captivity, captivity. He took them up to heaven. They're in heaven right now. When Christ returns, he's going to send his angels to collect the Old Testament saints, at least their soul and spirit. They're going to come back down to earth with him, just like we, same thing that had to happen at the rapture. Only he's going to send his angels together and gather them together and... That's why he's, he's going from, when it says, from one end of the heavens to the other, in heaven. He's going to collect them, their soul and spirit. And when, they get, when, when he comes down, just like us, our soul and spirit is going to be, is going to have a resurrection with the body. There's going to be a, a union. There's going to be a, our soul and spirit has to unite with a, a resurrection body. And he's sending his angels to get them all over heaven to bring them back at the second advent. You got that? But some people think, well, no, this is church-age believers who are going up into the, into the sky, and he's going to send his angels, and he's going to collect them all. No. That's why I said Christ is going to descend from heaven himself with a shout. Like the, I'm saying like, with or like, as the voice of an archangel. That's why I'm saying one reason I'm trying to substantiate. There are no angels that I can see the way I read this 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. It's got the voice of, a, of an archangel, that quality of his voice. And there's not going to be angels going around trying to gather us together, come over here to Christ. When we get our resurrection body, we are all going to go to him. And he doesn't have to send angels all over heaven trying to get us from scattering about. So I have here, this is not referring to the rapture. This is describing Jesus Christ returning at the second advent. He will send forth his angels to gather together the souls and spirits of Old Testament saints who are in heaven and bring them to earth to receive their resurrection bodies. And it is not the church. This is the second advent. Now, see, some of y'all might think, well, what's he making a big deal about? If you're ever under attack by those who allege that this is describing the rapture, you'll see the importance of it, that we have to rightly divide it. That's what it's talking about. We are distinct from Israel. God has a plan and agenda for us. He's got a plan and agenda for Israel. And he's not going to have us be reunited together with uh, folks of another dispensation. I'm past time. I'm five minutes past time. Well, um, it's I've been doing a lot of searching and researching and so forth, and I was uh, I have to give credit where credit is due, and that particular um, take on that verse came from uh, R. B. Theme Jr. He described it that way, and I haven't heard anyone else describe it that way. But when I heard it, it clicked right away, and I said, that makes more sense than anything I've ever heard. Because there are those who say, see, um, this, is, this is the rapture, because they're, they're, you have them in the sky. You know, we're going to meet in the, in the sky, and God has sent his angels. No, no, that's not what's going to happen. This makes perfect sense and harmonizes with the same thing that's essentially going to happen to us. Souls and spirits are, di are separated from our bodies. And for the resurrection to take place, they have to unite. That means they have to come from heaven and unite down here with the, whatever is left that's going to be regenerated or, or is, is going to 
God is going to just create this new resurrection body. It's still going to be us. But if the same thing happens to them, the Old Testament saints at the second advent are still going to have to come from heaven. And that's what he's doing. He's sending his angels out there to get them and bring them down. Yeah. But our, our, our soul and spirit also has to come with Christ, though, to unite. Yes. Do y'all want to... Uh, I, do wanna, uh, uh, I'm past time, but i got hands in the air. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's no reason to do it. Right. Right. Okay. So, uh, yes, ma'am. Yeah, you notice this is the Gospel of Matthew. This was still in the Jewish age. And he's explaining to them um, what was going to take place uh, because... At this point, anything I can tell you, somebody is going to want to argue with it. But they knew very, very little about the rapture that was going to take place. Well, you heard a while ago, they said the mystery. Remember when Paul was in 1 Corinthians 15:52, He said, let me tell you about the mystery of what's going to happen. It was a mystery to them. And this isn't going into uh, uh, in detailed information about something they had no inkling about. But these Jews... They had Job, they had Isaiah, they had Ezekiel. They could go to those scriptures and they say, oh, okay, now we know what you're talking about. And they could relate. They would automatically assume that this is talking about the Jews, the Old Testament saints. This is what they would just naturally think that he's talking about. And it's not talking about the rapture here. Okay? All right, let's close. I'm already <laughs> behind. Father, we're so thankful for your word. It's just, we're in awe of how it all fits and harmonizes together. We thank you for giving us the great system of perception and the Holy Spirit, whereby we can understand these spiritual things so that we can assimilate them into our soul and have that hope, that confidence, looking forward to the return of our Lord. And now we have more and more details to make us distinct from what's going to occur uh, with the Old Testament believers. So we thank you for this so that we can sort it out and keep it straight in our own soul. We pray that you will help us to continue to look forward to Christ no matter what. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.